from the DuckDuckGo for Privacy Studio, this is News Talk A3O, WCCO. The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk A3O and Odyssey, Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with hosts Bruce and Peg. We don't know what we don't know, but sound financial strategies stand the test of time. And that's what Bruce and Peg will get into today. Text and call with your questions on the studio line, 651-989-9226. All week, you can ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6ADVICE or email yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. Here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Bruce and Peg. Good morning. Hi, Peg. Hi, Rashini. Uh, nice, nice lead in, Rashini. Thank you. So, Peg, this is, we're, we're talking about um, financial wisdom versus financial knowledge. Um, and, and it's kind of a variation of, of things that we talk about on this show a lot. And we probably talk to with clients one-on-one a lot. But it may almost seem like you know we're we're splitting hairs here in terms of semantics, wisdom, or knowledge. What's the difference? But I think as we get in and talk about this and give some examples, I think this is actually a, a good topic and maybe does help bring some clarity to listeners and to other people um, in, in, uh, in terms of what we're talking about here. So, wisdom versus knowledge, and 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 where do you want to start? <laughs> well, I um, I thought this uh, topic would be rather fun because uh, as comprehensive planners, we walk through clients uh, with all the details of their past life, uh, their present life, and their future life. And, and it gets you kind of thinking about how many choices every single day do each one of us make and in all aspects of life. You know, so when you think about it, the choices that I'm going to make today will probably impact my life tomorrow, and it might impact my life a couple uh, years from now. But um, just to start off with a kind of a light note when it comes to choices, so everybody knows I'm a golfer, right? And I'm out on that course, and I'm 125 yards out, and I've got water on the left, and I've got bunkers on the right, and i got to make a decision. I've got a choice. I can either lay up, because 125 yards, hmm, what are the odds that I'm going to get it right on the green, or I can go for it. And Bruce, since you and I have worked together for so many years, what do you think I do more often than not? You're going to go for it. You're right. I'm going to go for it, because I would rather – you know, have that probability of getting on the green and um, then laying up with a with kind of a greater maybe percentage of getting par, right? So 
each one of us is different in our makeup. Um, you know, you, you may think about the latest diet fad that you went on and said, hey, I'm going to lose weight on this. Or, you know, we often think now um, we're so used to using computers and iPhones and and I wouldn't dare uh, say, Bruce, hey, I'll meet you next week at noon for lunch on a Tuesday and not enter it into my calendar because the thought of remembering that. And so all of these choices uh, are, incorporate into what we do in this financial planning because a lot of times when you have two people sitting in front of you, uh, they may not have made the same choice. Like with the golf, my husband would for sure lay up and it drives me crazy that he can beat me sometimes because he's just so much more methodical than going for the green. Yeah, you know, I like that analogy. And, you know, I would go for it too because um, I'm probably going to miss hit the ball anyway and not end up in the sand <laughs> or in the water. Then it'll end up as a layup anyway, even though I'm not trying to lay up. And if I hit it really good and it goes, like, over the green, I'm happier with that even if I miss the green just because I could say I made good contact on that one. So I, 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 I'm going for it. But, you know, the, you, I like your analogy also with choices. And I think this is really the heart of the topic today in terms of knowledge. So you've probably encountered these people also, a potential client that maybe doesn't engage our services because they're smart, and they are smart. They're knowledgeable, and they think, I don't need professional help. I'm smart enough to do this by myself. And I think this is absolutely analogous. Some people might brush this off, but I think it's analogous. Knowledge doesn't mean you're going to make good choices. And the example that I cite frequently, now you and I had not seen each other for a year and a half, and we saw each other recently, and you're too, polite to, you're too polite to comment, but you probably saw me and said, whoa. He wasn't kidding. He did put on weight during the pandemic. Now, I'm way heavier than I want to be right now, but it's not because I lack the knowledge to know what I'm supposed to do. Proper diet, eat fruits and vegetables, eat lean proteins, avoid fats, avoid bad carbs, get your exercise. Intellectually, I have the knowledge to know what to do that I shouldn't be as heavy as I am. But during the pandemic, I made bad choices. I knew I was making bad choices. And frankly, at that point in time, I didn't care. Well, now I care. Now I'm out in public again and people are seeing me. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to take, take this weight off. Um, so knowledge doesn't mean you make good choices. You know, there's a, a lot of people like me that are heavier than they want to be. And it's not because intellectually, they lack the knowledge to know what they're supposed to do, but they don't always make good choices. So part of financial wisdom is recognizing that there's reasons why you might not make good choices and how do we help people make those better choices. I think that's, that's really the heart of what we're going to talk about today. Well, and I think we're full of excuses, too, right? If we're sure. bad one day, you know, we, we can make it up the next day and, oh, we got lots of time, blah, blah, blah. But I think another point, Bruce, is that our heads can just deceive us, right? So when we talk about um, what we do for a living and creating financial plans and talking through kind of risk tolerance, and um, generally people are kind of risk averse. And rather than, um, you know, risk their money, I would say more times than not, people would love to have preservation of capital, 
than a potential for a higher return. And that actually changes as you get older. Uh, and, and this is just something that I've witnessed. There, you know, people get less loss averse when they get older. And in some cases, Bruce, we have to, we have to then coach them whether they're going to have a great probability of success in their plan. Because if you get too conservative too soon, that actually can be as ugly as taking a little bit more risk, you know, over time. So then there's other things when it comes to money where, um, you know, we talk about fear and greed. And greed, you know, people love to buy things that they think they're going to double, triple overnight. It sounds really good. But then once they start losing, they start putting good money after bad, thinking, oh, well, I, if I throw a little bit more money at it, you know, um, now now it's down. Maybe I can actually make up for what I've lost. And that actually can be kind of a snowball uh, negative effect. I, I, lo- I love both of those, and I want to comment on both of those. So, yes, our heads can deceive us. Again, knowledgeable people can fool themselves. So this idea, um, th- th- you're right, th- this uh, adversity to risk. But here's the deal. When people think of risk, they think of risk of principle on their money. But there's other risks. There's the risk of being too conservative and getting too low of a rate of return so that I run out of money before I die. So when we do this future value forecasting for clients, we, we, we can determine what annual average rate of return they're going to need to be financially successful. And if you say I'm risk adverse and I'm putting it all in the bank and, and I'm going to earn one-tenth of one percent, well, we might be able to demonstrate if you do that, we know you're going to run out of money before you die unless you're really, you know, lucky enough to die really young. So taking some risk with some of your money is sometimes a necessity to get the return you need. And that risk of principle on that portion of your overall money, that's going to be your long-term money that you're probably not going to need in the short term anyway. So you're really not taking on that much risk because history shows us that long-term investments in stock or growth do end up uh, rewarding investors, but they could be dangerous in the short term. So we have to coach people up to to not let their own fears uh, overcome good decisions. The other one you talked about, you know, throwing good money after bad, I thought of a gambler in a casino. Well, the house wins. (laughs) The deck is stacked against you. So if you go gambling, you're way down, and you think, well, if I just keep playing, I'll make it back up. You're, you're probably not. That's wrong. So, again, smart people can make bad decisions because their head fools them. The other one I think of that's probably more prevalent now than at any point in my career, people will make bad decisions based on political bias. We've talked about this on the show a lot. If your party or your candidate doesn't win, you want to get out of the market because you think things are going to go all the heck now, and chances are they won't, or and vice versa. So, don't let your political opinions rule your economic decisions. You have to be politically agnostic when you're doing your financial planning. These are all examples of how our head and our emotions get in the way. And you mentioned fear and greed, and we talk about that one all the time. If you make an emotional decision, how often when you make emotional decisions do you make good decisions? Chances are the answer to that is never or almost never. We want to make thoughtful, logical, pragmatic decisions not emotional decisions. 
Yeah, there's times, Bruce, and, you know, we're, we're both human. When I look back and go, how in the world did I make that decision? I mean, so, you know, you, you want to have uh, a grander probability of success that you make good decisions. But I, too, uh, feel like I, I understand our job and coaching clients and, and you know, having the um, markets do well for them over time. But sometimes I'm pulled in personally because it's my money and I do feel super knowledgeable that I can make mistakes. So I lean on others. And you know this about me. I am not afraid to ask for help if I feel like my um, emotions or I'm feeling like maybe I'm mentally getting deceived based on fear and greed. And when we talk about being deceived, uh, sometimes financial kind of experts out there and with social media and all the access that we have to information, I think you have to be really careful because they try to capture that greed side of you, meaning, you know, a big story hits one day and it's, it's probably going to be illustrated more dramatically than, than actual. And that's because we used to say, Bruce, that newspapers sell, right? Now we're just saying, how many clicks are they going to get um, on the on the internet? And and that's what they're going for. And then some of these people that make really bold predictions, you know, the market's going to crash, the market's going to do great, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times they become famous and they weren't even right. And so I can think <laughs> of some examples in the last, in my career where I'm thinking, how did how did that guy become or that woman become so popular in that they've never actually made a correct decision um, or guess about which way the markets were going to go. And then or, people, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Lastly, I'll, I'll... I was just, lastly, I was just going to say about the get rich schemes, you know, where people are lured into um, maybe buying something that they think they have a high probability of success in winning, but they probably don't. Yeah, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I thought you finished finished your thoughts. So, and, and these things are related, right? These get rich quick schemes and this uh, so and so predicted the market crash in 2008. Yes, I can think of people that are famous that were wrong, but also there's people that were right once and they got famous or or perceived themselves as famous because they were they called the market crash of whatever, and they called 50 other crashes that never happened, but they got it right once. Well. A stop clock is right twice a day. That doesn't make you an expert. Um, and, and even if you were, it doesn't mean that that ability or perceived ability to predict markets is applicable to any one of us in our own given situations. And, and again, I talked a few minutes ago about um, the risk of running out of money if you're too conservative. I've also talked clients into divesting out of stocks and getting um, reducing their risk even as I was bullish on the market and thought it would go up, and people listening might say, well, why would you do that if you think the market's going to go up? And the answer is because if we did future value forecasting and we know the return that we need to be successful for a client or the amount of money, and we're there, and the only thing that can hurt them now is, is if they go backwards, we're going to reduce that risk even if we're bullish on the market. Our advice is unique to each individual client. And there are circumstances. You can't take a blanket um, answer or blanket information and apply it to everybody. And a lot of this stuff, Peg, it's fear marketing, right? It's right. so-and-so so called the crash, 
and, and he or she thinks another one is coming, and the only thing that can save you is if you subscribe to their $99 a year newsletter. They'll they'll navigate you through these rough waters or whatever. Well, they're trying to scare you, and obviously it works because there's so many people out there doing it. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads me, Bruce, to when we talk about this wisdom and we talk about knowledge, there's just some basics that we have used in financial planning. I would, I would call it financial planning one-on-one in that investments will actually benefit from time. And not only will they benefit from time, but they benefit from compounding interest. And I feel like over the last month, we've tried to drill into people that compounding interest is just so valuable And especially if you are young and you have lots of time, but even, you know, a lot of times people will call us prior to their retirement. It might be, you know, five years, it might be two years, it might be the day that they retire, they call the Wealth Enhancement Group and they still have a lot of time. And that's the first conversation I have with people is that if you're 55 or 60 or 65 or 70, you still have a lot of time. And um, so that's big. And then the asset, you know, the class, the asset classes you buy, the risk that you take, the tax diversity, you kind of have to have a balanced financial plan. And I can't stress this more than the rate of return is only one component of your financial planning. So a couple of these, Bruce, are just the basics to us, but it is the conversations that we have when it comes to wisdom and knowledge. And I love meeting new people because we can kind of tell in a very short order, you know, whether they believe they're smart and maybe smarter than sometimes us. But then when we talk about these basic concepts again, we find that um, they, we actually, we actually do match in that they know that too, but, um, but they needed the reminder of, of using those basics when it comes to long-term planning. All right, we have some texts coming in. And reminder, you can call and text Peg and Bruce today, 651-989-9226. Peg, this one is for you. What is Peg's favorite golf course in the Twin Cities? <laughs> well, gosh, I actually have so many. I don't know that I have. I suppose it would be where I score the best. <laughs> Um, well, there's a couple. There's um, Minnesota Valley in Bloomington, Minnesota is one of my favorites. And then I actually really like uh, Sands of Ridge Creek in Jordan. I grew up in New Prague, so I frequent that one as well. I've played both of those courses, and I haven't broken 100 on either one of them. Well, you don't golf as much as I do, Bruce. Well, but there's a reason I don't. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> so... Um, do we have a little bit more time? Um, yeah, uh, we d- we have a couple more minutes. I want to ask you this, though, really quickly, Peg, because you are the golf expert. For someone who's been away from golf for a while, what's your best tip for getting back into it? Well, one of the things I did is, and this kind of goes with the discipline that I believe in, is I grew up learning how to golf from four brothers and my father. Um, and they they tend to swing really hard. They were all baseball players. So I went back and uh, for three years, I went to um, a clinic and just learned the game of golf at 40 years old. 
And then I feel like I'm a lot better because I had the discipline to go and learn exactly how to do it and want to do it for a very long time. Hey, I actually do have a golf tip <laughs> from a bad golfer, and then let's squeeze in one more text for Steeny, and then uh, maybe we'll Peg and I can put a bow on the topic in the second half. But I think this is a really good tip. So, Peg, I've been for years buying the, the, the latest and greatest golf equipment, the best clubs, best quote-unquote, but I decided this year that I'm using equipment that good golfers use, and I'm not a good golfer. Maybe that's a mistake. So I, I went online and I researched clubs for beginners, and several sources came up with the same club brand. So I went out and I bought, like, beginner's clubs. I've only been out once this year, but I was hitting the ball better, not farther, but straighter than I have in years. So I think I might be on to something here. If you're, if you're a novice, don't think you can use the same equipment that the pros use. It might not work as well for you. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because I, my 357 uh, wood is um, almost 20 years old, and every kind of um, teacher or coach that I get say I have to get rid of them. But a lot of it is just the confidence that you have in those particular clubs as well. Makes well, somehow a lot of we sense. De- deterred from finance the golf. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, because I know that golf can get a little spendy, it's a good idea to maybe have that golf fund to save for all those golfing expenses, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I'm guessing you would both advise that we do. All right. Well, we are talking, talking. We're also, we're also talking about choices. And I think we're talking about exactly. those choices too. And you can relate that to uh, the wisdom and knowledge of investing. Exactly. More great information and advice for your choices coming up in our second half hour. We want to remind you of the phone number. Call or text us 651-989-9226. We have some texts coming in. Of course, Peg and Bruce will give you their best answers. They're very good about being candid and thorough with their responses. So give us a call when we come back. We are back on Your Money. Rashini Rajkumar here along with your hosts, Bruce and Peg, and they are talking about financial choices and strategies. Bruce, uh, maybe you can reset us this morning. Yeah, thanks, Rashini. So, Peg, uh, we also, or you, we're also giving out some golf tips and answers to questions and talking about your favorite places to play. But back on the topic we started with, and thank you if you uh, stayed with us uh, after the first half and if you're just joining us, we were talking about financial wisdom versus financial knowledge. And I, I don't need to repeat, you know, the things that we talked about in the first half, I don't think. But is there anything else that you wanted to cover, um, any takeaways for listeners on our topic today that uh, we didn't get to that might be helpful and might give additional clarity and emphasize what we're trying to, the, the message we're trying to deliver? Yeah, as we're talking about wisdom and knowledge, uh, I just want to add a couple points, too, that may seem like they're very repetitive, but don't time the market. So we are sitting here right now, Bruce, where a lot of my reviews, people are saying, you know, why is the market so good? Is this the time to sell? Should I put a bunch on the sidelines and, you know, and then uh, time when I might get back in? Even though these clients have been with me for a very long time, it, it, it's a conversation that's starting to come up. Now, what we are doing a lot of is rebalancing. 
So what I'm finding is if a client was 60% in the stock market and they were 40% in fixed and other stable assets, then maybe right now they're 68% in the stock market. So yes, we are taking 8% of that growth off the table and rebalancing. There's a lot of people listening right now. If you aren't looking at what percentage, you know, you're quite differently now because the market's doing so well, we're fixed income hasn't been performed um, very well this year, you may want to look at rebalancing. The other thing is, is just to remind you that your goal is to have money, not just make money. So when I talk about a balanced portfolio, that's kind of the definition of that. You still want growth. They're talking a lot about inflation today, a couple assets that historically can't tell you that they are going to in the future that have kept up with inflation is real estate and um, the stock market. And so we do encourage our clients to make sure that they know that they need that longer term return for not just spending of your money, but the increase in costs of things. And then lastly, Bruce, it's um, just the outcome driven by investing can lead to panic moves, meaning who doesn't feel good today? Wow. We, I mean, I'm doing these reviews and showing the five-year annual averages, and they are way above our goal, right? Our fi- future financial forecast, we didn't predict that we were going to get these types of returns over the last five years. And in some, t- in some cases, people start to panic. <clears throat> Maybe their political views are not, you know, the, the, the same or they're, they're more passionate about that. Maybe it's just because they just don't understand that the market should even be where it is today. Um, we try to go back to the original goal. I keep saying, Bruce, make a plan, work the plan. Let's not make panic decisions just on, you know, a couple days or a couple weeks and the highlights of the events going on. So I wanted to add that. Yeah, that's all great stuff. I, and I want I love that you brought up rebalancing because when you said, you know, you've got a client that's 60% in equities, 40% in fixed and other safe investments, and now it's suddenly it's 68.32, it's not because they invested more in stocks. It's that stocks have done so well and those other asset classes haven't. So now they're out of balance. They, they know that the appropriate allocation for them is 60.40, and as they get older, if anything, it should get more conservative, not more aggressive, and 68% is more aggressive. So, yes it makes sense to take some winnings off the table. Or as we frequently say, it's never a bad idea to lock in your gains. But when you get the question, Peg, more often than not, I think they're basically saying, let's get everything out of the market. And we're like, no, we don't want to do that. And the only reason you would do that would be based on your personal circumstances, not any fear that you have that the market's got to crash or it can't stay this high or the long, wrong political parties in power. Those are all bad reasons to, to get out of equities. And the last point I wanted to, to make, and then I'll let you tie the bow on this thing, we always talk about knowledge. We want people listening to, the show, to this show to be more knowledgeable, to help themselves. That's, what, that's probably the primary reason we do this show. Um, so we want people to be knowledgeable. We want them to, to read and research and get educated. But you also have to be careful. And we kind of alluded to this in the first half of the show, is where are you getting this research? And do they have an ulterior motive? Do they have a goal? 
So sometimes the information that you get might be self-serving to the, to the entity that's supplying you with this information. They want you to do something that's good for them that might not be good for you. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt and ask yourself, can this entity, wherever I learned this, wherever I read this, do they possibly have an ulterior motive? And, you know, again, we try to disseminate information that's just generically correct. It doesn't have anything to do with Wealth Enhancement Group per se, just the things we teach and coach our clients because we are a fiduciary. We work for our clients. We don't work for Wall Street. So, you know, we are a credible or a reliable source of information, I think, but not everybody out there is. And last thoughts, and then we'll uh, let the Rashini listeners drive this thing. Yeah, if I tie that into, you know, hiring an advisor or actually if you work with an advisor today, number one, you have to feel comfortable with that person. Do I, did I need to go for three years and get these golf lessons? And and I probably could have figured it out on my own. I'm pretty disciplined. I could have practiced. But I I feel like I need that expertise of someone um, that, that, Actually, I had a teacher that um, that actually coaches uh, golf for the for the men, um, and so I, I feel like I had a good coach, and I and and that helped me. And then I also do believe that when it comes to advisory, you need somebody to 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 kind of de- define things in a different way that you maybe already have biases on. If you have an advisor, make sure that you use that advisor, and if you don't have one. Just I'd leave you with just the thought of, do you really believe that you have the knowledge? And if you have the knowledge, are you somewhat biased in your thinking? And could a different perspective maybe help you long term? Yeah, I I thought you'd go there last, and I'm glad you did. And if you wouldn't have, I would have. And again, the cynic out there listening can say, oh, you always turn this around to getting a financial advisor. And and, And we do because we know, we've seen there's there's a ton of data out there that people that get professional help do better than those that don't. So we're passionate about that, and we are going to say that. But we didn't say you, you should call Wealth Enhancement Group. Yes, we're flattered and honored if you do, but there's a lot of good advisors out there. But all these things that we talked about, these choices, these, uh, the, these decisions, these emotional decisions, the difference between knowledge and good choices, and, and, you know, and where does financial wisdom come in? An advisor can help you with all these things because, long story short, an advisor will hold you accountable, and you should hold your advisor accountable. And if you hold each other accountable, you've got a win-win relationship, uh, relationship and, and you'll make better decisions than, than if you uh, try to navigate this all on your own. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up last, Peg. All right, Rashini, let's let the listeners take us where they want to go. All right, I want to remind people you can call Bruce and Peg at 651 989 9226, that is also our text line. This listener wants to know this. Can you file for Social Security several months before you want to start collecting it? Hey, that's a great question. Peg, let's let's expand that. Let's talk a little bit about Social Security and why it's more complicated to, to know when and how to file than people think it is, and then talk about just the actual logistics of what do you do and how do you get that data and so forth. I think that's it, we can never talk about this too often. It's still very confusing for people. Yeah, what's extra confusing right now, and I'm getting a few calls from clients, is uh, this 66.2. 
So the full retirement age, when you can, you know, kind of maximize your Social Security at full retirement age, not that you can't delay it longer than that, but um, it used to be 66 that that was the age. Well, then years ago, they added 66.2, 66.4, 66.6, based on when you were born. And that was to try to delay the full um, the full retirement age because the Social Security Administration was having some uh, future forecast uh, shortfalls. So when do you actually file? Well, it's kind of interesting because it depends on your birthday. Uh, what I encourage clients to do is to is a couple months ahead, but let's just say that your birthday is in the middle of the month, you may want to uh, file two and a half months you know, or um, somewhere between the two and the three month window is perfectly fine with Social Security Administration. Uh, how do you do it? You can actually do it online, SSA.gov. And uh, our clients have said that it's actually a very easy process. The only confusion was, you know, uh, they, they ask you for a start date. And so you have to be somewhat familiar with um, when your full retirement age is, because if you, if you apply for it one month too early, you're actually going to not be at 66.2, you would be at 66.1. So there's a little complexity there. So our clients call us for clarification. Uh, other things, Bruce, you wanted me to go over? Um, just talk a little bit about, um, we'll give the, the address again, because I think that's very helpful for people. And then I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about filing early as opposed to at full retirement age, as opposed to waiting until age 70, and why you never wait past age 70. Uh, yes. And so the Social Security Administration gives us a span of 62 years old to 70 years old. And in the middle of that is this full retirement age that I talked about, depending on when you were born. So if you take your um, Social Security early at 62, you're going to get a reduced um, amount, about 25% less than you would at full retirement age. And if you wait till you're 70, you're going to get uh, 32% more. And in the beginning, it's 6%, not compounded simple, but at after full retirement age, it's um, 8%, and that's where the 32% comes in long-term. How do you decide whether to turn it on or not? It's actually quite complex because it, it's, uh, it's something that should be tailored to your life. And, you know, if you have a spouse and um, what's your cash flow look like and what is what are your goals? You know, if something important to you is legacy, maybe, you know, you want to take your Social Security and let your other money grow. Or if you're independent and you don't want to leave a legacy, maybe you take the Social Security earlier. Maybe your health isn't that good and you feel like you're going to have a loss of income longer term if you don't take it early. So, Bruce, it's, it, I would call it a very personalized approach to deciding, and that's why it still kind of baffles me that people just call in to the Social Security Administration and they try to ask these questions to them, but they're not there to do that coaching. They're there to process your Social Security and get it started. So if you do have an advisor, make sure that you contact that advisor because they're knowledgeable about it, I'm sure, um, or 
get some help in some way because it's a bigger decision than I think some people uh, think it is. Yeah, it can add up to, to thousands and thousands of dollars over the course of a lifetime if you get it wrong. So a couple of really quick thoughts just to add to that, and that was great, Peg. Thank you. Um, to give clarity to full retirement age. So, again, Peg said this, but just to, to, to give you some specific clarity, if you were born in 1954 or, or prior to 1954, your full retirement age is 66. Or if you were born 1960 or later, it's 67. It's those people in between, which I'm one of them. I was born in 1959. So for me, full retirement age is 66 years and 10 months. And full retirement age is important to know because not only is it uh, an increased benefit amount, but it's also the age at which you could file for Social Security, get your benefit, and still be working and make as much money as you want without any detrimental impact to your Social Security benefit. If you take it early and you're still working, you're limited to about, I don't know, $18,900, and anything over that is going to start uh, cause negative impact to your benefit. So full re- retirement age matters. And then in terms of the growth of your benefit, Peg did say, it was 6% simple interest from 62 to full retirement age. And then from full retirement age to age 70, it's, a, it's actually 8% simple interest. But it does not continue to appreciate after the age of 70. So there's never any reason to wait beyond age 70. So we're looking at an eight-year window, 62 to 70. And we help clients determine the appropriate way and time for them But I also always tell clients, this is never going to be an exact science because we don't know when you're going to die. But there's a lot of things that we do know, and based on what we do know, we can make a recommendation and enhance your chances of maximizing that benefit. But I want to give people numbers to add clarity, again, to this whole thing that we're talking about. Let's assume, and this is a low number, but the math is easy. I can do it in my head. Let's assume that your full benefit at full retirement age is $1,000 a month. Well, if you take it at age 62, it's going to be roughly $750 a month. So you're giving up $250 a month by taking it sooner. But if you wait until age 70, it's going to be $1,320 a month because it'll go up 8% a year for four years. So 750 to 1320 over that 18-year period of time. And then again, people have the quandary. Do I take it sooner and get less or do I wait longer and get more? but I don't get it for as many years. And again, this is not an easy decision, and there's a lot of other variables that we look at. So I'm glad you did that, Peg, and I just wanted to add a little bit, and that should address most of what most people need to know about Social Security, but there's always unique little questions that could come up that complicate this even further. And that website, again, is ssa.gov, and that website is tremendous. They have improved this a thousandfold over the last five years. All right, I'll share this quick greeting um, from Tom and Niswan, then we'll get back to these questions. He says, I was delighted to hear Peg list Minnesota Valley as one of her favorite golf courses. When I was in high school back in the late 60s, I was a busboy at Minnesota Valley. Many happy memories. Thanks a lot. Oh, fun. Yeah, very nice. Okay, this person says, do you pay more taxes on an international mutual fund over a domestic one? Ooh, international investments versus domestic investments. Peg, I don't don't know the answer to that. Do you? 
Well, I, I feel like, um, in my experience, it all full flows to your um, tax return. I mean, you get these 1099s, and I think there still is a lot of confusion about international funds because there is a, a currency difference. Uh, yes. Because, yeah, there's a currency difference. So a lot of times the uh, 1099 looks different. A lot of times it takes longer. Uh, but they do specify on that 1099 what to pull off of that 1099 to put on your tax return. So I've never in my career looked at international costing me more tax-wise, uh, but, but I'm very keen to this uh, currency uh, transition, you know, so because we live in the USA, right? So if it's a currency um, outside of the USA, <clears throat> they're going to specify um, a, concert, a currency uh, exchange, you know, before they do that 1099. Thank you. That's exactly so. When I said I don't know the answer, and I don't, but that's the part I do know is that uh, that you know, currency in other countries, whether it's the euro or whatever it is. It may look like you're paying more in taxes after they do, you know, after they equate things back to the dollar. But we, but to add clarity, we do believe in international investing. We think uh, if, if all of your investments are all in domestic investments, you're missing opportunities. There's tremendous opportunities right now in emerging markets. And think of companies that are great companies. I don't know if I should name names, but everybody, if they just stop and think for a minute about, companies that are great companies that aren't in America, you quickly understand it does make sense to have a global exposure or international exposure in your portfolio. And at the end of the day, Peg, I think it comes down to growth and income from your investment. But, you know, the tricky part is doing that exchange from whatever the currency is back into dollars. That's what makes it a little bit more complicated. But I don't think you pay more taxes just because you have uh, foreign exposure. All right. Here's a quick question. I think we can get to. If I panicked and got out of uh, the stock market, is it a good idea to get back in? Great question, Peg. Yes, it is. I would review your goals. I would uh, look at your age, your time horizon. Uh, probability is that you should probably go back to the percentage that you are already in because you would you should have deemed anything that's in the stock market or equities as long-term money. And so getting in today and holding it for a decade, two decades, three decades, you're just going to be happy that you did. Long money stays long, stays in the market. Short money shouldn't have been there in the first place, so, it doesn't, so there's nothing to get out of if it's short. So, yeah, I agree. I've had people, Peg, say, I got out when I was afraid. Now it's even higher, so I'm afraid to get back in. But if it's long-term money, absolutely, you should get back in. All right, we have a text about indexed universal life, which I'll suggest the listener emails Bruce and Peg during the week at yourmoneywealthenhancement.com. You can also get your questions in if you call them during the week, 888-6-ADVICE. Uh, some great questions, Peg, Peg and Bruce, and some wonderful answers from both of you today. I know you helped a lot of people, and we had some fun with golf, Peg. We did. <laughs> All right, and you, of course, can catch more of your money next week, same time, same channel, same station, and we will catch you then. Make it a fabulous week.
The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc.